In his book, Every Man's Battle, Fred Stoker shared the following. He said it happened every Sunday morning during our worship service. I'd look around and see other men with their eyes closed, freely and intensely worshiping the God of the universe. Myself, I sensed only a wall of separation between the Lord and me. He said, I just wasn't right with God. As a new Christian, I imagine I just didn't know God well enough yet, but nothing changed as time passed. He goes on to write the true reason for the distance slowly dawned on me. There was a hint of sexual immorality in my life. There was a monster lurking about and it surfaced each Sunday morning when I settled in my comfy lazy boy and opened the Sunday morning newspaper. He says, I would quickly find the department store inserts and begin paging through the colored newsprint filled with models. And of course, he writes about the models he's referring to are those models, those women wearing only their undergarments. And he says, I loved lingering over each ad insert. It's wrong, I admitted, but it's such a small thing. He said it was a far cry from Playboy, I told myself. I'd like to submit to you this morning that that kind of thing is very, very common. Yet, yes, men who struggle with pornography and struggle with that. And if you're here and you do, we want to help you and want to encourage you to overcome that and have victory in Christ. And we'd love to talk with you after the service. But what I'm really getting at this morning is not the element of sexual morality necessarily. What I want you to see is how common it is for men and women of God, children of God, to simply focus on the symptoms of their sin or the fruit of their sin rather than the root of it. You see, Fred Stoker's problem was not so much a a distance in the worship service. His problem was a problem with his heart. He had turned his heart away from seeking God and worshiping God and it turned it instead to seeking and worshiping, if you will, these models in the Sunday newspaper. See, that feeling of distance in the morning worship service was really just a symptom or a fruit of his real problem. A lot of us do that. We deal with the symptoms. We know something's not right and we begin to look around and say, well, it it must be this or I can't understand why this is happening or this isn't happening rather than getting at the root of the problem. But if truth be known, most of us don't want to get to the root of the problem. Reminds me of a man who went to the doctor and he went to the doctor for a checkup and the doctor examined him and said, "Okay, doc, give it to me straight. I could take it. The doctors looked at him and said, well, physically speaking. You're in fine health. He said, the real problem that you have is simply this. You're just plain lazy. That's your problem. And the man listened and said, okay, okay, doc. Do you have a scientific name for it so I can go home and tell my wife what I have? (laughs) We don't want to deal with the real problem, the root problem, what's really going on. And in our passage today here in Judges chapter 6, We're back with our man Gideon, and today God begins to deal with the root problem, what's really going on in Gideon's world. And last time we were together, we saw that uh, Gideon had built an altar there to the Lord, and uh, he had brought this offering and built this altar. And what I want to do to begin today is go back and begin reading from verse 1 and kind of refresh our memory 
and kind of bring us up to where we are in our passage. And maybe you're here for the very first time in this series. And so this will bring you up to date as well. But I want to begin reading at verse number one. And our focus today are verses 25 through 32. We're going to go back and refresh our memories together. So I'll begin reading at Judges chapter six, beginning at verse one, as we think about the root of the problem, uh, getting to the heart of the problem. Uh, Judges chapter six, beginning at verse one. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up. Also Amalekites, the people of the east, would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all those who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. And really that you go through the book of Judges and over and over again, you see a cycle of sin and God's judging that sin and then sending a judge to deliver the people. Now, verse 11. Now, the angel of the Lord, and of course, if you've been with us, you remember this is we believe the Lord Jesus Christ and pre-incarnate the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was an opera, which belonged to Joash the Asbarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, oh, my Lord. If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. You shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, uh, show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread and an ephah of flour and the meat he put in a basket. and He put the broth in a pot and brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and leavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. 
Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat of the unleavened bread. And fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace. To this day, it is still an offer of the Asperites. Now, now we're going to pick up our reading today. This is today's passage. Now, it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal, that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord, your God, on top of this rock and the proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image, which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. And when the men of the city rose early in the morning... There was the altar of Baal torn down and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down and the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, who has done this thing? When they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die because he's torn down the altar of Baal because he's cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a God, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jerobel, saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. Let's pray. Father. Quiet our hearts, open our hearts to your truth today. Work your will here in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we focus our attention on this passage of Scripture, it's real possible to read it and say, okay, I get that, and move on. In other words, you know, take this bull, tear down the altar of Baal, put an altar of the Lord, and move on. And we, we've read the story before, and we've read Judges before, and we know what happens, and we know what's coming, and we know what's going to be the end, right? But listen, Gideon didn't know that. Gideon was not reading this in the past tense, he was living it in the present tense. Living it as a real, breathing, flesh and blood human being. And I don't want you to miss the significance of what God told Gideon to do. He said, I want you to take and tear down the altar of Baal, the pole that's beside it, and build an altar to me and offer a sacrifice to me. To understand the significance of it, perhaps Stephen Davies' little description will help. He said this was kind of like being a Christian in Salt Lake City, Utah. And that Christian in Salt Lake City, Utah, bulldozes the Mormon tabernacle and then puts a giant cross up in its place. That's kind of what's going on here, if you will. Kind of what God was telling Gideon to do. Not in the size of it, but in the significance of it. Tear down their place of worship. Tear down their altar. Tear down their idol and build a proper altar to me and offer a sacrifice to me. 
Now, there are two main lessons I want you to get from this passage today. Number one, are you ready? We must tear down our altars, starting with those in our own backyard. We must tear down our idols, starting with those in our own backyard. Tear down your idol. Tear down the one in your backyard. Look again at verse 25. I want you to notice whose idol this is. Now it came to pass the same night the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has. And cut down the wooden image that is beside it. Listen, this idol, this altar to Baal is in Gideon's own backyard. It belonged to his father, Joash. Now before God could use Gideon, As a public leader and deliverer, Gideon had to obey God in his own home. He had to start with his own family, his own house. If you remember, Gideon lived in a world that was a challenging world, to say the least. I gave you three key words that really summarizes where Gideon lived and the time he was living. Those words, if anyone remembers, were regression, oppression, and depression. There was regression. They had sinned against the Lord and there was oppression. God had delivered to the hands of the Midianites and there was depression. We find him at the very beginning down in the wine press, beating out a little bit of grain, trying to sustain themselves. But listen, before God's going to deal with the oppression and the depression, he has to deal with the root of it all. He has to deal with that regression. He has to get at the heart of the problem. He had to deal with their idolatry, their real problem was not the Midianites, as awful as they were, as awful as their pressure. That was not their real problem. The real problem was they become blatant idolaters. They had turned to the worship of Baal. And before God was going to deliver them from the Midianites, he had to deliver them from Baal and Ashtaroth. That pole we're thinking about was what that is. And before Gideon could lead the people abroad, he had to obey the Lord at home. And so the Lord very specifically says, listen, I want you to do this for me. I want you to do this. Look at the specific uh, instruction. Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old. Not left to guess. Some may wonder, why does he mention a seven year old bull? Well, some believe it it represents the seven years of oppression. It says in uh, verse one, the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. God says, take that bull, that seven-year-old bull, and I want you to go and tear down the altar of Baal your father has. Cut down the wooden image that's beside it. We believe that's an Ashtaroth pole. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock at the proper arrangement. Take that second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image. I love that. He says, basically, cut down that pole and then use that pole for firewood to bring this offering to me. And so we have specific instructions here. But we find in verse 27 that Gideon is fearful. It says very specifically that he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day. So he did it by night. You might be interested to know that scholars disagree about what that means. Does it mean he was scared to death? And so he says, well, it gets dark. We're going to go, guys. And they ran out there at night. No, some believe that what's talking about there was he feared to do it in the day because he would have been stopped. Now, imagine, if you will, if you're that uh, Christian in Salt Lake City, Utah, going to bulldoze the Mormon tabernacle. More than likely, you wouldn't get very far before they would stop you. Right. And I believe the same is true here. 
As he goes out with his bull, he's going to pull down the altar of Baal and tear down that asteroid pole. They wouldn't have gotten very far before they would have said, hey, wait a minute, what are you doing? They would have restrained him and stopped him. So he does it under the cover of night. And at the same time, there may have been some fear, probably was some fear. Because he's not just talking about an idol somewhere out there. He's talking about his father's idol and his father's bull. And he's going to do these things in obedience to God. Now, Christian, what about your life this morning? What is it that's turned your heart away from God? What is it in your life that's cooled your devotion and your passion for the Lord Jesus Christ? What altars and idols have been reared up in your heart today? What altars and idols need torn down in your life today? Tear them out, tear them down. Say, preacher, it sounds so sudden and so destructive and so painful. Just rip it down. Yes. You see, before Gideon could build an altar to the Lord, he had to tear down the altar to Baal. You see, those two altars couldn't stand up there together. It wasn't, well, we'll have an altar to Baal and an altar to God. No, it was either an altar to Baal or an altar to God. They were not going to stand together. Listen, Jesus Christ deserves, demands your total surrender, dedication, commitment, sacrifice and life. He is to be your Lord and master. The Bible is very clear. We're not to give Jesus. We're not to give the Lord a divided heart. Listen to some scripture. Luke 14, 26 to 27. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Mark 12, 29 through 31. Jesus answered him, the first of all, the commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, is the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Our lives are to be 100% totally sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not polluted with idols and altars of false gods. And so I wonder, as you read this account, as, as God is dealing with the heart of their problem, would you examine your own heart today? Would you allow God, the Holy Spirit, Christian, to search your heart today and put his finger on anything that is not right? Would you do it right now? Would you do it right where you're seated? Would you like Gideon, as God, the Holy Spirit, directs your a thought and mind and heart today, and you see things that should not be there, would you like Gideon tear that from your life and tear it down and say, God, I forsake that. I give that up for your glory. First John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen to Proverbs 28, 13. He who covers his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. God desires to root out of your life today things that are cooling your passion for Jesus Christ. God desires to tear down and out of your life today things that would turn your heart from God. And there are in abundance in our world today. Many of us think we're not idolaters. 
We don't have statues in our backyard and idols and things that we go bow down to. Oh, really? How many people today bow down to so many things? It might be a giant house. It might be a giant career. It might be a large bank account. It might be a fantastic car. It might be a person. It might be a position. And they bow down and give their very lives for those things. Maybe some of you have seen, they have this television show on that about these people that are extreme couponers. Have you all seen those? And these people talk about their stock, their, uh, I forget what they call it, their, their group of, what is it? Their stockpile. They talk about it in reverent tones and they are so proud of it. Love it almost as much as their family. And they serve it all day long. See anything wrong with using a coupon? No. I used one this past week and saved a bunch of money. But listen, these people gave their life to that. They bow down to their stockpile and say, oh, mighty stockpile. I trust in you. You laugh, but you go watch it and you listen to them carefully. And you see, really, their trust is wrapped up in that. If I can get enough stuff and enough stuff. And other people are just as bad off. If I can get a bigger house, if I can get a better car, if I can get a better position. If I can just do this or that or reach whatever. And we give our lives to that. And beloved, I want to say to you, it is an idol. It is sinful. And it turns our hearts from God. It does. God has blessed us with wonderful, glorious gifts, all of us. But listen, we don't get so enamored with the gift that we forget the giver. The people of Israel here in Gideon's time, they loved the worship of Baal and Ostaroth. Because I want you to notice, the very first point is clear. We must tear out the idols of our life, beginning with those in our backyard. But I want you to notice, secondly, we should not be surprised at the reaction of others around us when we do. We should not be surprised at the reaction of those around us when we do. I want you to notice here what the people of this village and this area did. We're not going to belabor it, but I want you to notice what their reaction was. Gideon went out in obedience and he tore down the idol and he destroyed their idol and their altar. And he reared an altar to God. They sacrificed to God and he did all that in the night. And then the next day came and when the next day came and the light shone and the sun arose the people recognized it. They got together quickly, a ticker take parade for their hero Gideon. And they were preparing the bands and warming up to have a hometown hero parade for Gideon for delivering them from idolatry, right? No. A crowd showed up for sure, but it was a bloodthirsty one. They wanted his blood. Look at verse 28. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, we noticed they were very devoted. They were doing their devotions, ready to go and worship. When the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down. The wooden image that was beside it was cut down. The second bull was being offered in the altar which had been built. So they said one to another, who has done this thing? And by the way, we know if you go back to verse 27 that Gideon took ten men from among his father's servants. It didn't take long for word to get around to who was responsible for this. So they come and they said, uh, uh, who's done this? And verse 29 says, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. So they come to verse 30. They come to Joash, his father. They say to him, bring out your son. Now, I want you to notice how devoted they were to the altar of Baal and the worship of Baal and their idolatry. They said that he may die. And you know what the Bible says about these idolaters? 
They were the ones that were supposed to die for worshiping a false god. They said, listen, I want you to bring out your son that he may die because he's torn down the altar of Baal. He's cut down the wooden image that was beside it. (laughs) He must die. Now, I want you to understand something. Not everyone, in fact, hardly anybody in the world is going to get ecstatic when you get it sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, they may set out to cool you down a little bit. Or or they may even go, in this case, to try to cut you down, to try to take you out. Why are we surprised when the world stands in opposition against us? Why are we surprised when we try to do right and live right and and stand for truth and love people as Jesus instructed us to and, and to obey his word that the world comes against us? Why are we surprised? Look at what they did to our Lord. He was perfect. Sinless, went about doing good, went about healing and forgiving and delivering and came and lived in this place for us. And what did they do with him? They nailed him to a cross. They spat upon him. They cried, crucify him. They cheered and jeered him. Why are we surprised that the world would come against us? Listen, don't get discouraged. Keep your eyes on Jesus. We're to do right regardless of what the crowd says. We're to do right regardless of what happens. We're to trust God like Gideon did. Say, listen, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to go do what God told me to do and leave the consequences to him. But before we leave this, I'll find a very pleasant surprise. And it's this. What happened to Gideon's father, Joash? Remember him? That this was his his idol to start with. This was in his backyard. That, That was his bull up there burning on the altar to Jehovah. He's the one in the first place that had the idol. I love what he says in these verses. 31. Joash said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a God, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. I love that. I see a fresh sense of courage in Joash. She says, listen, guys, if Baal's a God, he can be a big boy and stand up for himself. I think perhaps the the faith and the obedience of Gideon began to work in the life of his father, Joash. We see courage in him standing up for what is right. And he not only does that, verse 32 says that he gave his son a nickname. He called him Jerobel. And he says this. In verse 32, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. Jerobel, uh, there means let Baal uh, contend or plead. Let, let Baal handle Gideon. Now, what about you today? What about you? Will you have the courage to stand for what's right? We have the courage to stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the courage to do what's right, regardless of what somebody else may say or do to you. I want to ask and I want you to hear me clearly today. Is your heart right with God? 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 Answer that in your own heart today. Is my heart right with God? You see, before he could deal with the oppression and the depression, he had to deal with that regression. 
And get to the heart of the problem. Say, listen, Gideon, here's what's going on. You guys have turned from me. A nation has turned against me. And it must be rooted out, must be torn down. Are you saved today? Do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt, if death were to come knocking at your door today, you'd open your eyes in heaven. If not, friend, I invite you to come. I invite you to come and meet the resurrected, glorified, living Son of God who died in your place and shed His blood. Who says, all that come unto me, I will, I will receive and I will, I will pardon and I will make a child of God and give them a home in heaven. Do you need to tear down some altars today that have been, res- uh, been built to false gods? Are there some idols in your life today that need to be torn down? Do you need a fresh surrender today to the Lord? And say, here's my life, Lord, take it and use it for your glory. Do you need to obey the Lord? Do you need to come today seeking uh, baptism and obedience to Christ? Seeking church membership if God has led you here? What is it that God is speaking to your heart about today? Is your heart right with God? In a moment, we're going to stand and sing, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. And as we sing today, the altar is open. And I will invite you to come. If you need to be saved today, if you need to be fresh surrender, if you need to tear some altars down, whatever it is that God would lead you today, I want you to be obedient. God said to Gideon, listen, I want you to go tear down that altar of Baal. I want you to tear down that pole. I want you to sacrifice to me. God says to us today, I want your dedication. I want you 100%. Is your heart right with God today? Father, we love you. We honor and adore you. Father, I pray you're working right now in this invitation. I pray your Holy Spirit to be working in the lives of these people. Speak to my heart, O oh God. I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here that's lost today, it'll be the day they trust Christ. If there's anybody here today that's struggling, that's maybe dealing with all kinds of symptoms, that ever get to the root of what's going on, I pray today it'll be rooted out and forsaken for your glory. Take charge of the invitation, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn is 294. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. And I want to invite you to come. And as we sing, you do business with God and you obey Him as we stand and sing 294.